you're listening to a recent sermon from Covenant Church. For more information or other sermons like this one, you can find us at covenantchurchonline.com. And now, with a message from our latest series, Explosions, Sharks, Beards, and Bacon, here is Pastor Travis Davenport. Yeah, well, welcome to week two of Explosions, Sharks, Beards, and Bacon. Are we awake this morning yet? You guys uh, seem to be a little, little excited this morning, a little like anticipatory. Is that a word that I can use? Yes? Can I get just, you don't have to say amen today, just give me grunts. Is that okay? Yes. Now I feel at home. I appreciate it. Very, 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 very good. Well, hey, all this month we are uh, going through Scripture and talking about what it means for a man to actually be a man. Last week we set the tone with our series, and today I want to give you some very practical advice as to how you can um, surround yourself with people who are going to make you a better man. Now, this series, of course, is, is for, the, for the women's as well. Um, that was a joke, women's. Um, this series is for the ladies as well. However, my tone will be for the gentlemen. Uh, my tone will be for the gentlemen, I mean the men. So my tone's going to be for the men in here this morning, but this applies to, to the ladies as well. And we're going we're gonna to do this, we're going to talk about this by looking at two of the most arguably manliest men in all of Scripture. One's man name was Samson. Do we know Samson? Yes? Uh, yes. Good. Then the other man's name is David, King David. Two of arguably the most manliest men in all of Scripture. Uh, you know, David is the one who slayed a giant of a man named Goliath. A Philistine warrior. Samson is the man who had this supernatural like strength and, and broke down these pillars after his eyes had been burned out by his enemy and took down 3,000 to 4,000 people in one fell swoop. Just man stuff. So uh, we're excited to talk about that. But before we go there, I want you, if you have your Bibles, once again, I think I'm exploding on this mic. I don't know if that's the case. I'll just keep talking. Um, I want you to jump over in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Grab your Bibles, go over to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to build a case for what we're going to talk about today. We're going to build a foundation before we really begin. Um, Genesis chapter 2. Now, just while you're going there, if you have your phones, turn them on, jump over to your Bible app, or if you actually have one of those things called a book, um, you can actually open one of those too. Um, I mean, if you have one. Um, so anyway, uh, we're catching up in Genesis chapter 2. Now, What's happened so far in Scripture is that the beginning took place. God created everything from nothing. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how God created everything ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. That's right, out of nothing. So God creates the heavens. He creates the earth. God is done now creating the land, the water. He creates the animals. And then he creates man. Um, but then comes... <laughs> I think one of the humorous verses, uh, one of the first humorous verses in Scripture, um, in, in verse 18 of chapter 2, it, it's almost as if God realized something about his creation. Like he's created everything, and he sits back and is like, because uh, notice he says it's good. He didn't say it was great, right? When he talks about man, he's like, he made man, it was, it was good. And then God sits back, and he's like, that's good, I, I think. But then he says this in verse 18, look at this. He says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God makes everything. God creates everything out of nothing. And then he realize, realizes, you know what? It's not good for this guy to be alone. Now, we don't know the context. We don't know why God says this. I'm guessing it's because Adam was probably riding dinosaurs around in the garden. I don't know. And maybe he was just like, wild like he was a wild can you imagine if you were the only man alive and yeah that'd be awesome in some regards and so God's like okay okay okay, okay. this is not good for this you gotta be alone I gotta create somebody to like rein him in and so he creates a woman <laughs> now what's interesting about this is that in, in most cases God is actually correct <laughs> in all cases God is is dead on here isn't it it is not good for man to be alone. Can I get an amen from the women in here? It is not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my wife um, and I, uh, we're going to have been married uh, 10 years this, this next year, September. Yeah. She's a lucky woman. And um, 
And uh, yeah, that's right. And uh, boom. And um, I said it. All right. And, and so my wife's family uh, from Kentucky, uh, she goes and visits them every once in a while uh, just to kind of get out of the house with all of our kids. And she goes down there. And sometimes I'll go. Sometimes I don't. And, uh, but when she comes, she's got like one, one thing that she asks of me, right? She'll say, Trav, I don't care what happens in the house. I don't care what you eat. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you build. I don't care what you create. But when I come home, when I come home after driving for four hours with 19 kids in my car, <laughs> when I come home, there's only one thing that I ask. Could you please just have the floor swept? That's it. Could you please just, just, just vacuum the floors? Just, just general cleanliness. Yeah, of course, baby. No problem, right? <laughs> now, this is normally not a problem. Now, if you're like me, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to give you a little bit of insight um, that you probably don't want to know. But um, my wife leaves, and then it's like shirt off, on the couch, ordering pizza. She's already gone to the trouble of, of, of making like 13 meals for me, categorizing them by day and time and everything. And I'm like, man, nothing to eat. Let's get pizza. <laughs> right? The guy, like, in the course of the time that my wife is gone, me and the pizza delivery guy, like, we get real close. We're like buddies. Start telling old stories. Um, yeah, and, and so anyway, usually it's fine because I can hide all the evidence, you know? Like, we got a trash can. It comes on Thursday, the trash guy, so I can dump it all in there. And she comes back, and I'll eat all that other food that was like 13 days worth of food, like in like 12 minutes or so. Um, until the one day, and this is the day that my wife actually almost left me, until the one day where my wife decided to surprise me by coming home early. Wasn't that, isn't that, isn't that a wonderful, beautiful thing? <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and uh, my wife had left me a list of, of some things, agreed upon things that I was going to do, and, and one of, at the top of the list, of course, was to, to sweep the floors. Um, I had, <laughs> there's boxes of food, there's Chinese food, there was, I don't know, there's, I've been watching a Chuck Norris marathon on Netflix, it was just running on repeat. I don't know how often I showered that week, but it wasn't as much as would be preferred by my wife, and sitting on the couch, and all of a sudden, I'm expecting my wife to come home in like four hours. I'm like, I got plenty of time, right? Four hours, that means like when she's about 30 minutes away, I'll finish all this stuff up and clean up. And in, I, I hear this knock, knock, knock on my door, and my heart just drops. Because then I hear little knocks, like, too. It's like a big, 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 and then, like, the little ones, did it, did it, and I know that's my kids. That's what they do. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? Like, I don't have my shirt on. I'm, like, just standing here, like, you know what I mean? It's an amazing thing. Bruce Lee is, like, up on the screen. Uh, Papa John's on my couch, whatever. And so I open the door. I don't know what to do. There's no hiding it now. I'm just, I open the door, and in walks my wife, and she looks at me, and she looks around her house, and she says, so I guess you didn't get to sweep my floors? And I said, no. And she said, okay. All right, kids, let's get in the house. We're just like, everybody walks in. And, and I don't think we talked the rest of that day. <laughs> truly, truly, I say unto you, it is not good for man to be alone. But it's, it's true, isn't it? It's very true. It is not good for, for men to be alone. And, and this is Bert Hurtman told us, if you live alone, you die alone. Look at your neighbor and say, live alone, die alone. I need you to say it with a little more intensity. Look at your other neighbor and say, live alone, die alone. Live alone, die alone. And this is where I want us to jump into our character study of David and Samson. Now, what's interesting about these guys, and if you have your worship guides, I want to really encourage you to pull those out and write down some notes. Um, you're really going to want to look at this stuff midweek or during your Sea Life group and discuss this um, this week. If you look at these guys, David and Samson, they both lived at different times, different time periods, but their lives are strikingly similar. The comparisons between the two are very strong, and yet the end of their lives, they end up in completely different situations. Listen to Judges chapter 13, verse 24, describing Samson. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Jump over to 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is about David. And he, being Jesse, sent and brought David in. Now David was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the what spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Both of these men are anointed at a very young age to do great things, to lead the nation of Israel. Samson becomes a judge because there were no such things as kings in his day and time, but a judge would have been closest thing, the closest equivalent to a king. <clears throat> David actually himself becomes a king because they had instituted kings in his day. Very similar. And the similarities continue. Scripture tells us that Samson killed a lion with his bare hands. That, I mean, that, that should get like a, 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 like a reaction. He killed a lion with his bare hands. That dude is awesome. Awesome. He didn't die. He killed it with his hands. And then he just wore it around the rest of his life. No, I don't, I don't know. David, actually, Scripture tells us that he killed a lion when it attacked his sheep. He used a slingshot. He kind of cheated a little bit, but he killed it as well. Samson goes and slays, Scripture tells us, a thousand Philistines in one, in one time. A thousand people. At some point, you just got to be like, can someone get me a glass of water? This is really, really getting tiring. A thousand men. Amazing. Uh, David, of course, kills the great warrior giant uh, Philistines named Goliath. Both men were of great strength. Both men walked and talked with God. Both men were called by God to lead his people. Both men similarly, similarly actually also fell morally to women. Very close similarities here. Samson fell to the woman Delilah and David fell to Bathsheba. And the similarities continue. However, David did something, and this is our key today. David did something <clears throat> that Samson never did. And what David did led to his success and ultimately led to Samson's demise. David got himself a wolf pack. David got himself a wolf pack. Now, I just, I just want for my sake, for all the men in here, can you just give me a nice howl? That's, a, that's, that's one of the most beautiful sounds I've ever heard in church. I'm, I'm serious. That is a beautiful thing. David got himself a wolf, wolf pack. Now, to understand what a wolf pack is, to understand a metaphorical wolf pack, we first have to understand what a literal wolf pack is. Are you with me? So you got to understand what it is and how it functions. Now, wolves are manly creatures. Can we just say that? <clears throat> wolves are like one of the manliest beasts that roam the earth. They, they are amazing. Listen to some of these facts. One of the largest known wolf breeds in the world is the gray wolf or timber wolves. These things, these things are seriously massive. They stand four to five feet tall, four to, feet, four to five feet tall from ground to shoulder, you could ride one around as a horse, and you would be the coolest individual, <clears throat> I mean ever. Um, they, 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 they are five to six feet in length. They can weigh, uh, they've caught them up to 300 pounds and more. They can run at a top speed of 60 miles an hour. Uh, immense power is concentrated in a wolf's jaw as well. Listen to this. It has a crushing pressure of nearly 1,500 pounds per square inch. The jaws uh, that they have are massive. They have 42 teeth specializing in stabbing, shearing, and crunching bones. These are amazing beasts. They're amazing. Their jaws also open uh, way farther than those of your poodle. Um <laughs> <laughs> they eat poodles. Um, just, just basically think, when you think about a wolf like a timber wolf, just basically think of a great white shark, put legs on it, and have 50 of them chase you around in the frozen tundra. That's basically what it would be like for you, okay? Pretty terrifying. Um, but even with these, these amazing features, a wolf will not hunt alone. It, it won't. It will not hunt alone. In fact, it won't live alone. Because a wolf knows that when you hunt alone, you die alone. When you live alone, you die alone. And so wolves hunt, travel, live in things that they call packs. Now, these packs are made up of a, of a type of hierarchy that is very strictly adhered to, uh, starting with, number one, the alpha wolf. Let me hear you say alpha wolf. Alpha wolf. Now, the alpha wolf is the leader of the pack. His, 
His main goal is to maintain the pack's integrity. So it's not necessarily that he's hunting all the time. It's not necessarily that he's caring for the pups all the time. But he is leading the way. He is the one who will fight. He is the one who will charge. He is the one who goes to the new territory. He is the alpha male. What he says, the alpha wolf, what he says goes, period. Next you have the betas, or you have also what's commonly referred to as the brother wolves. So you have the brother wolves who also surround this, this pack of wolves. And then you have uh, various other lower subservient um, names for the general pack of wolves. And these wolves literally have this um, community, this, this society, if you will, that they live and breathe in. Now, <clears throat> just like in the wild, we need to be a part of a wolf pack. You're like, yeah, man, I can't wait. Tell me how to open my jaw a lot wider. I'm, I'm in it. No, no. Just like in life, we really do need a wolf pack. But part of the problem today is that we have too many men who think they are above any type of accountability. Too many men in church, especially, that think they're above any type of accountability. Too many men believing that they always know what's best. Um, they, they think they don't need anybody pouring into them. They say things like, I don't need anyone. I don't need anything. I'm a lone wolf. I'm a, one, I'm a wolf pack of one. Right? They say things like that. And uh, to that I would say, you're not a lone wolf. You're just alone. <laughs> you're just alone. And if you live alone, what happens? You die alone. These guys think that real men don't talk about their struggles. Real men don't need to be challenged by any other Men. They think that real men don't need to be punched in the gut every now and again. But the opposite is true. Just as last week we discovered that taking responsibility is what makes you a real man, the same is the case this week. The man who takes responsibility by putting himself in, under greater accountability is the greater man. Not the man who says, I don't need anyone or anything. I, think I can take care of myself. No, no, you need a wolf pack. So, let's begin the sermon. You ready? Okay, good. <clears throat> so, when we develop our wolf pack, there are three questions that we must ask. Three questions that we must ask. Write these down. Number one, the first question is this. Who will carry my casket? Number one, when developing your wolf pack, who will carry my casket? Number two, the second question you must ask when building a wolf pack, who will care for my kids? You say, I don't have any kids. Just go with it, man. Just, just, just go with me there. It's okay. You're going to someday probably, even if you don't mean to. Who will care for my kids? And maybe they'll turn out to be twins. Who knows? All right. Number three. Number three. Here's, here's maybe the most important one. Who will call me out? Who will call me out? Who will carry my casket? Who will care for my kids? Who will call me out? Number one, who will carry my casket? Are you surrounded by people that when you are in distress, you can call on them and they will be there? Are you surrounded by people that you trust? People that are like-minded? People that when you need them, you know they're there. When we read about the life of David, we see that he surrounded himself with people he called friends. <laughs> people that he called his friends. David flees and hides. In, in Samuel chapter 22, you can read, he flees and hides for, he, he runs for his life and hides out into a cave. And when his friends hear about it, they all come to be with him. Scripture says about 400 people who consider themselves friends of David's came just to be with him because he was in distress. They all came to defend him. In 2 Samuel, we also read the account of these friends that he has, or Scripture more specifically calls them David's mighty Men, these guys are awesome. Can I just say that? These guys are, are amazing. If this doesn't stir something in you, I don't know what will. I'm serious. Listen to the account of some of David's friends and tell me you don't want some of these guys as just your buddies. Just, just your buddies. Listen to this. 2 Samuel chapter 23. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joseph, Basabeth, the Tachamanite. He was chief of the three. Okay, kind of cool. But here it comes. Listen. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Oh, yeah. That guy's awesome. All right. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, 
was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab's. Aerials would be some of the finest warriors of their time. He struck down two of them, killed two of them. He also went down and struck, uh, okay, this is, this is really funny, okay? I love the nonchalantness of scripture, okay? It's just describing the most incredible warrior ever. And it, and it, just, says, it just says this. It doesn't even like explain it. It just, it just, just look at it. Just look at this. <laughs> Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kebzel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two arrows in Moab. He also, just by the way, also, he also went down and killed a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. Moving on. And he struck... I would have highlighted that a little bit more. I'd be like, God, thanks for the credit, but could you give me a little more? Like, that's a great story. There's no reason. It's like the whole pack of people, all the mighty men are out, you know, like kind of like Robin Hood, just jolly out in the forest. I don't know. And, uh, and, and, and he's out there, and all of a sudden, you know, Benaiah's like, hey, guys, I'll catch up with you in a second. I think I saw a lion in a pit. Just started to snow. This is going to be a great story for my kids. And just goes and kills him. Verse 21. I love this, too. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. <laughs> Thank you for the details. <laughs> if he was ugly, would it have said? He's very uh, ugly, man. A handsome man. Listen, listen, but listen how bad this dude is. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff, but snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These people are awesome, awesome. And three of the 33 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David to the camp of Abdullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. Verse 14, David was there in the stronghold and the garrison of the garrison, and the Philistines were at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Verse 16, his mighty men hear this, his friends hear this. David's just complaining, man, I'm thirsty. I wish I could get some of that water over by that well in Bethlehem. Verse 16, but, but they can't because there's an entire army, you get that, surrounding a well. Verse 16, then three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and got water out of the well, brought it back to David, and David said, oh my gosh, you guys are awesome. That's my translation. These guys were David's friends. These were just his buddies. This is just who he hung out with. These are the friends that David associated himself with. These would be the men who would someday carry David's casket. Now let me ask you this. Do these guys sound like your friends? I'm not talking about, have they killed people? I'm not asking, you know, are they lion tamers? If you can get friends like that, do it. But if you can't, I'm just saying, do you have friends that are loyal to you? And do you have friends that you're loyal to as well? Compare David's associations to Samson's. We just read about how David fled to a cave and to survive and how his friends caught wind of it and they just showed up. David didn't send for him, they just showed up to help him because he was in distress. Samson has a very similar experience in Judges 13. We read about how Samson kills a bunch of Philistines and goes into hiding into a cave himself. But instead of friends coming to aid him, we read this, Judges 15, verse 11. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? You killed a bunch of them. Do you not know that they're rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? Samson said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. They tried to kill me, I killed them, right? Verse 12, and they said to him, we have come down here to bind you, that we can give you into the hands of the Philistines. What's the difference? When David has a moment of distress, he flees to the caves and is surrounded by friends to help him. When Samson has a moment of distress, he flees to the caves and he's surrounded by people that want to kill him. Very similar, but very, very different. See, when it comes to the general pack, when we're creating our general pack, our friends, most men's associations, and don't miss this now, most men's associations are more a case of convenience rather than intentionality. We must be intentional on the people that we surround ourselves with and that we surround our families with. They must be intentional relationships. But most men, it's just relationships of convenience. Why are you hanging out with that guy? I don't know, he lives across the road. He's got a truck. That's about all it takes to strike up a lifelong friendship with a man, right, with another guy. We must be more intentional than that. 
And if you don't in- intentionally surround yourself with friends who are like-minded, who will make you better, then you might as well be alone. You're in the same boat as Samson. Question number one, who will carry your casket? When you die, who will be the friends who will hoist you up on their shoulders and carry your casket? Number two, number two, who will care for your kids? Who are the people in your life that will tell story, the stories of you after you are long and gone? If you die today, listen to this, man. If you die today, who would be the men in your life that would teach your children or your grandchildren how to throw a football? That would teach your children the values and instill the values that only a man can teach another young man? Who would those men be in your life? Who would look in on your family? Who would make sure that your family is okay after that you are long and gone? Who would it be that would, would tell the stories of you and maybe add a little bit of sugar to it to make you sound better, you know, to leave your legacy? Who, who, are, who would be the men who would care about your legacy? Do you have anybody like that in your life? Do you? Hmm. These are the people that we call brothers. Brothers are the ones that we open up to. Brothers are the people who are more than just friends. Brothers are the men in our lives that we would consider family. They're more than just friends. They're family. You know what I mean? They're family. If you were an Indian, you, back in the day, you might have said something like, we're blood brothers. We might as well share the same blood. We are so close. For David, this blood brother, for David, this brother, his name was Jonathan. First Samuel chapter 18 says this about David and Jonathan. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David. Say the word covenant. Made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that, he, 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 that was on him and gave it to David. And his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul, the king, sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. Scripture uses some very specific language here. It says that David and Jonathan's souls were knit together. It also talks about about the fact that they entered into a covenant agreement. This isn't just any type of covenant. It seems to indicate that this is a covenant where they are becoming literally one type of individual, where their souls are knit together. Now, they didn't have a romantic relationship, You may have heard people say, well, we're David and Jonathan, you know. There's no romance, but there definitely was a bromance. (laughs) Definitely some bromantic emotions going on. You know what bromance is, right? Some of of you in here might be like, bromance, what? I've never heard that. What are you talking, right? Bromance. Bromance is when two men, they are just drawn to each other. They're They're not physical with each other. They're not in love with each other in that way. They just want to hang out together everywhere they go. When you're a little kid, you just call best friends. You got your best friend. You do everything with your best friend. When I was little, I had a best friend. His name was Russell Daggett. (laughs) I was his name. True. I'm serious. We found each other a couple years ago, and I was like, Russell Daggett, what is up, man? He's like, dude, what's going on? That was, I didn't hear him talk. That's him typing that with that expression. (laughs) Sorry. And we talked and we caught up and we started <laughs> seeing this dude for like 25 years. And we started telling stories about when we were like six and seven years old, right? Remember that time I kicked your TV and it broke and your mom flipped out, you know, like stuff like that, right? <laughs> Best friends. It's a bromance going on there. Our, our souls has, have been knit together, meaning David and Jonathan genuinely cared for one another. In fact, in this interesting scripture found in 2 Samuel chapter 8, I love this scripture. We see that even after Jonathan dies, David becomes this powerful king, one of the greatest kings of all time. Even after Jonathan dies, is killed in battle, David honors his covenant to Jonathan and his family. Because when you ask yourself the question, who will care for my family, you have to understand that's the brother's job. That's a brother's job. 
Even if they're not brothers by blood, you surround yourself with men who are your brothers. They take care of your family, even if you're not there. Jonathan has a son named Mephibosheth. And the uh, country where they live is attacked. And, the, and um, the woman who is watching over Mephibosheth starts to run. And she drops Mephibosheth as a baby and drops him on his legs. And he, she, he's crippled for life. And because he's crippled for life, Mephibosheth can't do anything. He can't work, which means he's an outcast of society. He's living in poverty. He's cast out of the city, basically, is what we understand. And David becomes the king. Listen to this now. David becomes the king, and one of the first things he does is he seeks out Mephibosheth, whose society has rejected Jonathan's son, and he gives Jonathan a seat at the head of the king's table, and he provides for him, and he protects him. Why does David do this? Because brothers watch out for brothers' families, even after the brother is long and gone. David honors the covenant that he made. They care about your integrity. It's what brothers do. They care not only for you, but your family as well. They care about your reputation, and maybe most importantly, and don't miss this, men, they care about your legacy. They care about your legacy. These are the guys who you, trust, you can trust and you can be honest with no matter how hard it hurts. They can be honest with you, rather, no, no matter how hard it hurts. These are the guys you talk to before proposing to your girl. These are the guys that you cry with when your father dies. More than just friends. These are your brothers. They call you out. They challenge you. You challenge them. It's a relationship that is worth investing in. Do you have men like this in your wolf pack? Have you surrounded yourselves with brothers like this who care more about your integrity and character than they do your feelings? Do you have men like this in your life? For Samson, there's none. There's no mention of them. Once again, Samson is los lobo wolf, which I think is Spanish for lone wolf. Probably not, though. <laughs> Maybe if Samson had brothers like this surrounding him, then that whole Delilah thing. Remember that? Getting his hair cut off, losing his strength, having his eyes gouged out and ultimately dying. That's what women do to you, man. I'm just saying. Like that. <laughs> it starts slow. They want you to cut your hair, then they poke your eyes out. <laughs> I don't know how we got there. <laughs> take it all, they take it, all right, anyway, that's next, that's next week, um, <laughs> maybe this incident wouldn't happen if, if Samson had surrounded himself with brothers who could be honest with him, like, ah, Samson, hey, can we be honest with you, that Delilah chick, I think she's crazy, man, <laughs> really, yeah, I think she's, she's crazy, right, but when you surround yourself with people that care more for you than themselves, um, gosh, these things don't happen that hold you accountable. Do you have brothers like this in your life? I'm not talking about friends. I'm talking about people that take, take the step beyond friends and now are brothers. Do you have people like this in your life? <laughs> Lastly, I am with this. Let me take a moment with this one, though. Lastly, here's the question. Who will call you out? Do you have anyone in your wolf pack that will call you out? Now, in a wolf pack, there is one and only one alpha male, alpha wolf. And the alpha's main objective is to protect the pack, like I mentioned before. His main objective is to provide for the pack, to protect the pack. At times, wolves will challenge him, an alpha wolf. And what does an alpha wolf do? He barks them back into place. And if they don't get barked back into the place... He will literally go over with his massive jaws, wrap them around their neck, squeeze tight, and take them to where they need to go. That's what Alpha does. He's not a cute little cuddly puppy. He's not, ah. Right? No, he's going to bite your face off. That's what an Alpha Wolf does. He is mean. He is aggressive. He is rude. He is loud. He is oftentimes angry. He's brooding. He's dark. He's evil. Right? It's Alpha Wolf. An Alpha Wolf keeps you in line if you are a wolf. He's the one who leads the way. And what I'm saying here is that you need an alpha wolf in your life. Write that down. If you don't write anything else down this morning, write that down. I need an alpha wolf. I mean, literally, let's go find one. Like, let's go now. Like, let's go on a trip and bring one back. That would be amazing. No, you need an alpha wolf. Now, here's the problem when I say that. Seriously, 
Hey, I need your attention. Here's the problem in church world, better than Ville, when, when we say this, right? Here's the problem. I say you need an alpha wolf in your life. Um, and you hear me say you need an accountability partner, right? Now, now let's just, can we compare those two? Can we just, just, just for a moment, let's put those up to next, you know. Here's an alpha wolf. Here is a wolf. It is 350 pounds, five foot tall, six foot long. There's 45 teeth in its mouth. It's getting ready to rip up and tear everything apart. It's leading a pack of 50 other wolves just like him. They're hunting down a pack of caribou. They're going to rip out their necks, eat them from the inside out while some of them are still alive. This is awesome, right? And then over here we have an accountability partner. You can see the strong comparison that I'm making, right? Most of us, when we talk about accountability, it's just that. It's exactly what it is. Um, here's the problem with accountability. Garbage doesn't flow two ways. It should flow one way, and that is out. The problem with the way that we run accountability in most churches today is it's, we, get, we get together. This is, the, this is the best. Hey, let's take a group of people that struggle with something. Let's get them all together and put them in one room. And have them hold each other accountable. That's a great idea. There's probably going to be a lot of growth that happens there. So if you're struggling with something and you're a man, you get into a men's group, you're all struggling with the same thing. And you sit down and there's 10 and 12 of you, you know, you're holding, holding each other accountable. I love those words, church words. We're holding each other accountable. And you sit down and accountability happens like this. So brother, that's what we talk with guys. So brother, that's what we do when we're spiritual. Brother, let me cometh to you. <clears throat> old English, right? And we say things like, all right, man, how'd you do? Did you mess up this week? Tell me if I'm wrong. And then one guy will say to another, yeah, man, I messed up. And another guy will be like, me too, man, me too. And another guy will be like, oh, it's been like two or three weeks for me. I'm good, I'm strong, right? Oh, good job, man. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah. So at some point, everybody is admitting how they're messing up all the time right? Oh, yeah, I failed. Oh, yeah, I failed too. Oh, I'm messing up. And everybody's like, at the end, it's just this big agreed upon thing like, oh, it's all, it's, it's okay. We're just all getting there together. And so no one ever feels bad for anything that they've done because everybody's doing it. And so all the garbage gets clogged in the middle and it never gets out of your life. You know what Alpha Wolf does? <laughs> you know what Alpha Wolf does? An alpha wolf is someone who calls you, and the garbage flows one way. You don't ask the alpha wolf how he's doing. Hey, buddy, how's your day? Whoa, right? You don't pet him on his head. He's not nice. He will bite your hand off. He's an alpha wolf. He calls you and says, here's the difference. Hey, uh, hey, how are you doing this week? Do you do this? Do you do this? Yeah, yeah, you did? You told me you weren't doing that anymore. Are you, are you going to change this or not? Am I wasting my time calling you every single week? What's going on? You know better. You know Scripture. Scripture says this. Stop doing that. That's an alpha wolf. Now, here's what you don't do. You don't say to the alpha wolf, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. So have you messed up this week at all? The alpha, alpha wolf is going to turn on the phone. He's going to say, none of your business, kid. Get your life straight. That's an alpha wolf. You have one of those in your life? And I would, I would actually say that's real accountability, too. That's true accountability. True, dominant accountability. Because for most of us, just to, i got to push this just a little bit further, because you're not getting it. I haven't heard one amen. You may be terrified, but that, I don't know. Um, it's kind of like the stinky dog syndrome. Have you heard of that before, anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Um, the stinky dog syndrome. This is how accountability works with most people. Um, there's two dogs, they're farm dogs, they're, they're out rolling around in the manure all day, because that's what farm dogs do, and they stink, I mean they smell, they've been rolling around in it all day. They run up and they sit on either side of the door on the porch, and the farmer walks in from a long day of spread manure, apparently he's from the country, and, um, and he, he walks by these, door, these dogs and he opens the screen door and he says, something's a little ripe there boys, something stinks. And what happens? One dog lifts up his nose and goes, I don't smell anything. And then the other dog lifts up his nose and goes, I don't smell anything either. Why? Because they're both covered in filth. This is exactly what happens in most accountability relationships within our churches. And we wonder why we don't have success. 
We wonder why we don't conquer anything. Because we don't surround ourselves with people who are leading us. We're just all sitting in the manure together talking about the manure. Get out of the manure. You're going to need somebody at some point to say, you're in a pile of poop. Let me pull you out of it. And grab your hand and lead you to cleanliness. That's just me. Now, David had this man. He had this man. This is good stuff. His name was Nathan. Samuel chapter, chapter I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Listen, this is hilarious. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and grew it up with his children. It's a beautiful story. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. It's a little strange, but it's scripture. Verse 4. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. That's awful. Verse 5. David then, King David burned with anger against this man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, this is so good. David has no idea this is coming from his alpha wolf, Nathan. But keep in mind, David's a king. One of the most powerful men in all the world. Nathan is kind of like a nobody. This is what he says. Then, David, then Nathan said to David, you are this man, David. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave, all of Israel, I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more, says God. Verse 9. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, David, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Verse 11, this is what the Lord says. Out of your household, I'm going to bring calamity to you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to those who are close to you. And they will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. What you did in secret, I will do in broad daylight before all of Israel. Now that's an alpha wolf smack down. Right there. No account. Of, do you think David looked at him? Okay. So, did you mess up this week too, Nathan? Like, do you think that happened? No! How did David respond? I love David's response. One of the most powerful men in all the world responds to this old man this way. Verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's all it says. That's all he says. What else are you supposed to say? When you get played out like that by your alpha wolf, when you get called out, let me ask you this, this, this morning, this question, men. Do you have anyone who cares about you enough to call you out? Do you have an alpha wolf in your life? See, David aligned himself with an alpha wolf, someone that he allowed to speak life into him, someone that held his feet to the fire. Do you have somebody like this? An alpha wolf is, is an individual that agrees to, to walk with you for life and agrees to open up have you opened up your life to him? No holds barred, MMA, octagon style. His purpose is to beat you up, to rattle your cage, to not let you slip because he cares about your life. He is older than you, and the garbage does not float two ways. Oh yeah, by the way, our lone wolf Samson doesn't have one of these either. Never, never, ever. So lastly, the question remains, where are we, where are we to find alpha wolves in our life. We all need them. We all need one. Only one. Where are we to find men and women of this caliber? Where are we to find alpha wolves in our world today? Where are you to find an individual who moves beyond friend and brother and emerges as the leader in your life? Well, I'm glad you asked. I think scripture has the answer. Titus chapter 2, 1 through 8. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Here it comes, verse 2. You ready? Older men, to be, uh, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, 
not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an, appointed, an opponent may, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. <clears throat> Scripture tells us alpha wolves should be found within the walls of our own church. Amen? Amen. Alpha wolves are supposed to be found right here within our own community. Now, this, this is going to sting a little bit. I love you. I really do. I care about you. But I respectfully have to tell you this, and this is going to sting a little bit. Uh, I want to respectfully ask those of you above the age of 40 to please give me your attention, okay? It breaks my heart to see the gaps today in church. We've got entire churches that are made up of 20-somethings and no 60-somethings. You feel me? We've got entire churches that are made up of 50 and 60-somethings and no 20 and 30-somethings. Entire churches that have these gaps inside of them. Now, we can blame it on worship style. We can blame it on change in tradition. We can even blame it on preference and preaching style. But the one thing you can't blame it on is Scripture because Titus is clear. The older men are to teach the younger men. And the older women are to teach the younger women. At some point, brothers and sisters, church for you, has to be less about the experience you have and more about the influence that you give. My generation and the generation coming up behind me are dying to be poured into. Dying to have you pour into us. Dying to know how to be godly men and godly women. We've been raised in fatherless homes, in manless homes. We don't know how to be husbands. We don't know how to be fathers. We don't know how to be mothers. We don't know how to be wives. We don't know how to give financially. We don't know how to volunteer. We don't know how to serve. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to read scripture. So here's an idea. Let's take all the people that actually do know how to do that and remove them from our church. You don't see the strategy in that? You don't see how Satan uses that and divides churches? Do you not see that? i got to be honest with you. Generation ahead of me, you have dropped the ball with this. I love you. I care about you. You have dropped the ball with this. Where are you? Where are you? It frustrates me to no end when I hear a Christian who has been a Christ follower for years and years. And maybe they're in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, it doesn't matter. But they're older in the Christian walk. And they say things like, I just can't figure out how to get plugged in. That bothers me. Do you know why? Because there's hundreds and hundreds of new Christians who need you to plug into them. And the reason that you're able to do that is because the generation that came before you, I know it, they poured into you. And yet we're not seeing that anymore. Now, this is our fault as well. This is my generation's fault as well because we're not reaching out to you anymore. We're not looking for you. You're not looking for us, and we're not looking for you. You have to be the ones to make the first step. Do you hear me? You must be the ones. You must reach out to us. We don't know where to find alpha wolves anymore. We don't know where to find godly men. We don't know where to find godly women. We're not finding them in our homes. And now we're starting to not find them in our churches. You dropped the ball. You can either complain about the younger generation or you can begin investing in the lives of those who have the incredible opportunity to carry the torch of the gospel into the next 
generation. We need you. You are important. You are valid. Your wisdom is needed. Show me what it looks like to be a godly husband. Show me what it looks like to be a godly mother. Show me what it looks like to be a man who diligently works a job his entire life and retires without shame. Show me what it looks like to be a man who is faithful to a woman that he loves. Show me what it looks like to be a man who is married to his woman for 55 years. Show me what that looks like. Show me what that looks like. We need you to show us what that looks like. Show me. Lead the generation. Do you hear me? Who are you pouring into? Who are you pouring into? Satan wants to divide us and conquer us. We need to unite. We need to stand together. We need to fight alongside one another. Lead us. Show us the way. We need some alpha wolves. I'm talking, I need that 80-year-old man to show me his walk with Christ. A walk with Christ that I will envy. Because it's 80 years of a man walking with integrity and character. Show me that. Be that man to us. At the end of Samson life, Samson's life, we see that he dies alone. No one mourns for him. No one cries for him. No one even buries him that we know of. No one weeps for him. He dies alone. But look how, how David dies. Have our band come up at this time. Look how David dies. <laughs> First Kings 1. Now King David was old and advanced in his years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servant said, this is great, let a young woman be sought for my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms, that my lord the king may be warm. We can't get any blankets to keep him warm. Let's go find a woman. Verse 3, what a way to die. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag. Hopefully her face is prettier than her name. The Shunammite. And brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful and she was of service to the king and attended to him. But the king knew her not. Shortly thereafter, David dies. And when David dies, he's surrounded by his sons. He's surrounded by his family. He's surrounded by his friends. He's surrounded by his alpha wolf. He's surrounded by his brothers. He's surrounded by the very legacy that he created. And he's surrounded by his kingdom. A kingdom that wept as he passed. And to this day, thousands of years later, the legacy of King David lives on for the simple fact that this man built himself a wolf pack. Who will carry your casket? Who will care for your kids? Who will call you out? Thanks for listening to this recent sermon from our series, Explosions, Sharks, Beards, and Bacon at Covenant Church. If you've made any type of decision today after hearing this message, we'd love to hear your story. Please take a moment to write us at mystory@covenantchurchonline.com. And check back regularly for more exciting and impactful sermon audio just like this.